It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Okay, folks, well, I tell you what, Rich is out of town again. So here I am, and there you are. So I guess we'll just have a visit. Uh, is that okay with you? We're all kind of members of the Babat Radio Network family. So you and I will visit and just talk about some of the things that are happening. Uh, it's very interesting to me that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, things are raising in discussion uh, that previously... Uh, you know, people just didn't talk about so if you don't talk about them, you don't think about them. And if you don't think about them, they don't exist, do they? And we were just talking, a friend and I, about why Christian movies are somehow coming out of the woodwork. And I want to start out by telling you folks about this movie, uh, Breakthrough. Now, you can look it up. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a true story. And the only reason I'm talking about it is my wife and I have seen it three times. And we took different people each time with us. But I want to tell you, every time we saw it, I enjoyed it, I think, even more than I did before. It is a fabulous Christian movie. And if you see it, I want you to use the listener comment line. If you don't agree with me, I want to know why. And it's a true story. It took place in uh, St. Charles in Wentzville, Missouri, near the St. Louis part of Missouri, uh, not that long ago either. So what is the name of the movie? Breakthrough. And um, it really involves just so many, many things. And it's a true story. So, uh, um, so anyway, well, enough said about that. Um, I want to start out also with some of our listener comments. You know, um, when you call the listener comment line and tell us what you think, of course, that's put into a transcript, and then we really, we really read them. Sometimes, I tell you what, one listener comment, I want to I refer to that on another program. This listener said, well, I love your programming and everything you do, but uh, don't get so political. I don't like politics. And I thought, well, man, I'm not political. Man alive, I'm not political, but I am principled. And I'll tell you, when we're talking about some of the subjects, like life and marriage and uh, many other things, why um, you take it from there, because I don't really see, honestly, folks, how you can vote for any politician uh, that t that treats these serious subjects as bad as some do. That let's let me just say it plain: the Democrat Party has sold out completely. Not only completely, but they've dug in. I mean, they've they've taken a stand. Anything that's anti-God, anything that's anti-marriage, anything that's anti-family, anything that's anti-husband and wife, um, well, they think that's great. So anyway, we can talk about that on another day. But you see where I'm coming from. Principle is not politics. But maybe if you really stand on your principles, you will get politically active. Isn't that kind of the way it goes? So anyway, let's take the first listener uh, that called. Here, here, here she is. 
thank you for your wonderful service to the Christian community. I don't have a TV, a computer, or newspapers because I can't afford them. Listening to you has helped me understand the Holy Bible better, and I feel like I have lots of friends on the bot radio programs. Thank you again for everything. May God bless all of you. Uh, now, I don't know where that lady lives. She didn't say. But I kind of surmised that uh, she's a listener that needs food and needs understanding and needs something. And I'll tell you, here's Doris Akers to sing about it. When you walk through the storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark at the end of the storm is a golden sky and the sweet silvery song of a lark. Walk on through the wind. Walk on. got to get into the meat of this program now right away. Did you know I just read today that the Church of God in Christ, now that is, I believe, the largest uh, black denomination in America, the Church of God in Christ. Their headquarters are in Memphis, Tennessee, and they have they have a huge effort now among the church to stop abortion, to oppose abortion. For goodness sakes, now, you know what happened, let's see, in um, in Mississippi. You know what happened in Ohio. You know what happened in Iowa. You know what happened, I think, in Missouri now. And I think maybe it's in reaction to New York passing a, a wholly pro-abortion law, and the people cheered, and the people cheered about having killing kids, killing babies, and I think that has caused people. And then where else was it? Was it up in Virginia, was it, where they passed a law also and the people were cheering and applauding at at having wide-open abortion laws? 
And so anyway, this is causing people to talk. This is causing people to think. And I congratulate the Church of God in Christ because I'll tell you, any any church that doesn't let its congregation know where it stands on the issue of life, well, the people deserve to know that. And if you're pro-abortion, for goodness sakes, make a good case for it. And if you understand the value of life and the meaning of life and what it's all about, well, then then let the people know how they should react when they go to the voting polls, when they go to the marketplace, when they go out into their jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Lawrence White, who's the pastor of Our Savior Luther Church in Houston, Texas, brought a message a long time ago, and we recorded it. Bot Radio Network recorded it, had our engineers there, and the microphones properly fixed and all that sort of thing. And we recorded it. We've used it many times, but it's called The Sin of Silence. Here it is. I've been traveling across the length and breadth of this great land over the last few years, talking primarily to pastors' groups seeking to awaken and arouse God's spokesmen among us to be what God has called them to be, to preach his word without apology, without hesitation, without reluctance. And that means that I've spent a considerable amount of time away from my family. And so I was very pleased this past January, end of last December, to have the opportunity to take my two sons, Adam, who's 23, and Aaron, who's 20, with me on a trip to Germany. As a Lutheran Christian, that's where my historic and theological roots are, and I wanted the boys to see where they came from and to get some context, I guess you could call it, a setting in which to evaluate and assess what's happening in our country and in their lives. And so we flew out of Houston on Christmas Day. We landed in Berlin on December the 26th. The end of December, the beginning of January is a wonderful time to go to northern Germany because all the sane people have left northern Germany. The sun comes up at 10.30 in the morning and it goes down at 3.30 in the afternoon and in between it snows. <laughs> well, one afternoon we rented a van and we drove out into the countryside about 35 kilometers or so northeast of Berlin to a little farming community called Oranienberg. Not much there, a couple of taverns, a couple of gas stations, a few houses. That's about it. Nobody would ever have heard of that little town were it not for the fact that Heinrich Himmler chose Oranienberg as the site of one of his prototype concentration camps. A horrible place called Sachsenhausen. That means the home of the Saxons. I took the boys there that day because I wanted them to see what had happened to this great Christian nation, this homeland of the Reformation, almost overnight. And the boys grew quiet as we walked across the vast expanse where the barracks once stood that held hundreds of thousands of prisoners. During the 12 years of the Hitler Reich, we saw the bales of human hair and the piles of children's shoes. We went to the medical laboratories where gruesome experiments were conducted on living human beings without anesthetic 
because they were not viewed as human because of their race or their language. And finally, we walked to the back, where far in the corner, the crematorium once stood, the oven where they burned the bodies of the dead. And out in front of it was a grotesque wrought iron statue of two emaciated inmates hauling the dead body of one of their cohorts toward the gaping doors of the oven. The building itself had actually collapsed. They'd buried so many people underneath it that the foundations had been undermined. But the metal supports that once held those ovens were still there. And as we came up there three days after Christmas, in front of the doorway to that crematorium, there was a withered Christmas wreath with a white ribbon on it. And the slogan on that ribbon said, from the Christians of Germany, we kneel before God in bitter regret and humble repentance, and we ask his forgiveness for the Jews and all the others who died in this place. And as we turned to walk away, out across the compound once again, my 20-year-old Aaron put his arm around me in the condescending way that sons have with their fathers. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you need to keep giving those speeches that you've been giving. And I felt good. Because for the first time, my boys understood within the depths of their hearts what's happening in America today. But there in Sachsenhausen, for the very first time, they saw for themselves how much is at stake in our America and how desperately important these issues are and how much we stand to lose if we do not awaken and rouse ourselves quickly. In Germany, as here in the United States, one of the most clever tools in the enemy's arsenal used to silence and intimidate Christians, to drive them out of the public square, was the lie of the separation of church and state. There was a meeting held in the German capital city of Berlin in 1934. Hitler had been chancellor for just over a year at that point. He was taking the nation through a process which in German was called Gleichschaltung. That means coordination. Everything was being realigned in terms of national socialist philosophy and that included the churches. And protests had begun to rise from the people of God about this interference in the church and its life. And so Hitler called together the most important preachers in the land, and he gathered them there at the Reich's Chancellery to reassure them and to intimidate them, if he could, to silence their criticism so that he could go on with his plans for the country. And Hitler moved through the crowd that day, patting the preachers on the back, making them feel important, smiling and reassuring. He told them their state subsidies would continue, their tax exemptions were secure, that the church had nothing to fear from a Nazi government. And finally, one brash young preacher who was there, Martin Niemöller was his name, had had enough. Today we'd call him politically incorrect. He was going to tell the truth, even if that truth was not popular. And he pushed his way to the front of the room until he stood eye to eye with the German dictator. And he said, Herr Hitler, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern 
is for the soul of our nation. It was immediately evident that the brash young preacher spoke only for himself as a chagrin silence fell over that room and his colleagues hustled him away from the front. Hitler, with a natural politician's instinct, saw that reaction and he understood exactly what it meant and he smiled as he said to himself almost reflectively, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And they did. They kept their religion and their politics strictly separate from one another. And as the innocent were slaughtered and the nation was led down the path to destruction, they looked the other way and they minded their own business. And their country was destroyed. I would submit to you today that we in America find ourselves in a frighteningly similar predicament. Once again, the innocent are being slaughtered in a 26-year holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Once again, the nation is being led down the path to destruction. And once again, by and large, God's people are looking the other way. In a nation that has lost the moral will to distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong, we know all too well how far down that road to destruction we have already gone. And that's because in large part, every time a Christian, particularly a Christian pastor, raises his voice on a matter of public policy, the immediate hue and cry from the media, from the political and educational elite and establishment is, wait a minute, we have the separation of church and state in this country. You Christians, you keep your morality to yourselves. As history repeats itself, they smile reassuringly as they tell us the soul of America, you can leave that to us. And we have. Brothers and sisters, the time has come and is long since past when we stopped listening to and being immobilized by these lies from the father of lies. This is the genius of America. The recognition that a country like ours, a country where the people rule, must be a country where morality prevails. But that's not the kind of country that we have seen developing all around us every day. That's not the kind of country we read about when we pick up the newspapers every morning. America has forgotten who she is, and if she does not remember soon, it will be too late. In the 1830s, a French nobleman named Alexis de Tocqueville came from Europe to this new land to see what it was that gave America its vitality and its strength. And he toured across this country. He saw all that there was to see, and when it was done, he summed it up. In these impassioned words, he said, I sought the key to the greatness and the genius of America in her harbors.
in her fertile fields, in her boundless forests, in her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, but it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and her power. America is great, de Tocqueville said, because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, then she will also cease to be great. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is an offense to any people. There is that indissoluble connection between greatness and goodness upon which this country was built. We have severed that connection over the last few decades. We have sown the wind of immorality and we are reaping the whirlwind of destruction and death. And we, God's people in Christ, have been placed here by the Lord for such a time as this. America will not turn from the path of destruction until the Christians of this land Stop blending in and going along. We have become a chameleon church. We can blend in anywhere. We can go along with anything, no matter how perverse it may be. Just so long as no one figures out that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. For then we might have to endure the scorn and the ridicule of the world. We must stop compromising and yielding. We must start standing and in confessing. But as we do so, we must be sure that it is the Lord Jesus for whom we stand. We cannot allow ourselves, our churches, to be used and abused by politicians, by political parties. God is not the mascot of the Republican Party. God is not a Democrat. God is not even an American, which may come as something of a shock. <laughs> but of this one thing, we can be absolutely certain. The Lord God Almighty hates the murder of innocent unborn children. We can win the next election or the next 10 elections. We can balance the budget. We can reduce the deficit. We can bring down taxes and build the mightiest military machine on the face of the earth. But if we do not stop abortion, then God will destroy and God should destroy America. <laughs> abortion is an unholy altar that we have raised up to pagan gods of our own lust and greed. And the blood of more than 35 million innocent unborn children cries out to God for justice from the ground of America. And the day is coming soon when God will heed that cry. And when he does, woe to us and woe to America. On that great day of reckoning, it will not be enough to say, Lord, we were in church every Sunday. 
We built great churches in your name. We established great programs in your name. We raised millions of dollars in your name. On that great day of reckoning to those who stood silent while the killing went on, the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed ones, for I do not know you. But in the amazing grace, the incredible mercy and long-suffering of our wonderful God, that day has not yet come. America may have turned her back on God, but God, for some reason, has not yet turned his back on America. So let us work while it is still day, before the night comes, when no man can work. Let us rouse the Christians of this city and of this land to be what God has called and enabled them to be, the stinging salt that stops the decay of death, the shining light that dispels the darkness of doubt and despair, the gleaming city set high upon a hill, it stands as a beacon light of life and hope to this nation and to every nation. Let us learn from the mistakes of the past. Let us stand upon the word of God. Let us save this country that we claim to love as we become involved in the process in this crucial moment that God has given us. God is placing before us a challenge before it is too late. And I pray that we will find within the depths of our hearts and souls the courage and the faith and the conviction to rise to that challenge and make the most of that opportunity. It is within our power because God has placed it there. It is within our grasp to change this America before it is too late, to snatch our country back from the brink of destruction. All the signs of the deadly decay all around us are unmistakably clear. Our nation's leaders wallow in decadence and deceit, while the polls tell us that the people don't care, and apathy and indifference prevails. We must care as the people of God in Christ. We must be the salt and the light and the shining city. As Christians gathered here today, let us resolve not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Let us resolve not to allow evil men to triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Let us stand together as the people of God, bold in the confidence of the Spirit, and declare before our nation the soul of America. You can leave that to us. Thank you. Oh, man. Listen, our time is, our time is gone. We've got to get out of here. But the listener comment line, <laughs> when you call this number, we want to hear from you. 800-345-2621. This is Dick Bott with his chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service. We'll see you later.